Section four of Guelphs and Ghibellines by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter four Pisa and Genoa. Constitution of Florence. Pope Celestine V. Whilst the events which have been described in the previous chapter were taking place in the south of Italy, the maritime city of Pisa was reaching the culmination of power which preceded its rapid fall the town is a well-known place of pilgrimage to italian travellers and preserves at the same time memories both of its greatness and of its decline the city is shrunken into a very small space compared with the limits which it once occupied but it offers to our admiration four of the most perfect monuments of early gothic art the cathedral built of black and white marble, large and admirably proportioned, a gem in perfect preservation, is raised on its marble platform, open and visible to all. At a little distance rises the baptistry, containing the large marble basin used for the blessing of holy water and the baptism of all the children of the surrounding districts, as well as the pulpit of Nicholas of Pisa, the earliest master of Tuscan sculpture who founded a school which produced donatello luca della robbia ghiberti and michelangelo on the other side of the cathedral is seen the circular campanile or bell tower surrounded by its light arcades tier above tier exquisite in lightness and symmetry made more strange but not more beautiful by the slope which it has taken from the sinking of the soil at the side of these marvels of design lies the campo santo or burial ground a quiet cloister enclosed with gothic arches the centre filled with sacred earth from gethsemane the wall covered with frescoes by benozzo gozzolo and orcagna here are buried the illustrious dead of pisa here is deposited in an old roman sarcophagus the body of henry of luxembourg whose career will claim our attention further on. The town is still watered by the Arno, a mightier stream than when it flows through Venice, deep and navigable by seaworthy galleys. But the old port is silted up, and grass grows in the deserted streets. The curse of Dante, who prayed that the island of Gorgona might dam up the mouth of the river, has been fulfilled, even the delicate invalids who a hundred years ago found in Pisa an agreeable and bracing air now go to Cannes, Monton, and San Remo. The town exists on memories alone. In 1280, Pisa was the sovereign city of a wide domain. Her territory along the coast extended from the marches of the Maremma on the south to the Gulf of Spezia on the north, where it met with the hostile power of Genoa. Pisa possessed nearly the whole of Sardinia, Corsica, and Elba. The position of Corsica was peculiar. That island is divided into two parts by a very high range of mountains, whose summits rival the loftiest peaks of the Apennines. At a time when all communication was effected by sea, the two sides of the island knew very little about each other. They stood, as it were, back to back, one half owning allegiance to Ayacho, the other to Bastia. The western half, 
dependent on Genoa, the eastern to Pisa. Besides these possessions, Pisa had factories at Saint-Jean-d'Acre and at Constantinople. The weakness of Pisa consisted in the plain which lay behind it. That was occupied by a number of hostile towns, Lucca, Florence, Arezzo, always ready to take advantage of a moment of misfortune. Genoa, on the other hand, her victorious rival, was backed by the ridge of the impassable Apennines, the Cornice, or narrow ledge of coast road, between Genoa and Spezia, offered points of vantage for many a little town, which owed allegiance to her proud mistress but to no one else. The busy ports were well suited for shipbuilding. The sea supplied the wealth and sustenance which the hills denied. Every village sent forth its contingent of hardy sailors, no unworthy fellow-countrymen of Columbus. For these reasons the contest between the two cities was unequal, and the issue could not be doubtful. Their rivalry, after continuing for a long time, sometimes after the manner of a tournament, with elaborate displays of force and a chivalrous indifference to secrecy of preparation, terminated in a great disaster. On August 6th, 1284, was fought the great battle of Meloria, in which the Pisans were entirely defeated. The fleets of the two cities met in seeming equality, and the accounts of the battle in their minuteness of detail and their painful insistence on individual disaster remind us of the terrible defeat of the Athenians in the great harbour of Syracuse as narrated by Thucydides. Galley contended with galley and man with man. There was no smoke to obscure the horrors of the fight. At length, when the fortune of the battle was wavering, thirty Genoese galleys which had been concealed behind the island of Meloria hastened to the attack and rendered the result no longer doubtful. Five thousand Pisans were slain, eleven thousand were taken prisoners, of whom only one thousand returned at the conclusion of peace fifteen years afterwards. Pisa never recovered the blow, the source of her noble families was dried at its fountainhead. The towns of Tuscany seized the opportunity to complete her destruction. Florence, Lucca, Siena, Pistoia, Prato, Volterra, San Gimignano, and Cole signed an alliance with Genoa for the destruction of their common enemy. This calamity was averted by the diplomatic skill of Count Ugolino della Gerardesca, who by persuasion and bribery sowed dissension amongst the members of the League. The Count was afterwards imprisoned with his sons and grandsons by Archbishop Roger in the Torre della Fame, the Tower of Hunger. The key was thrown into the Arno, and they were left to perish. The narratives of this horrible deed of vengeance form one of the most thrilling episodes in the hell of Dante. We must now turn our attention to the affairs of Florence, the city of Dante himself. It has been stated above that in the year 1250, after the death of Frederick II, the primo popolo, that is the upper middle classes, who formed a commercial aristocracy, began to raise its head and to assert itself against the nobility. 
this party deposed the existing podesta and appointed some new officers thirty-six caporali or heads chosen from the six divisions of the city a capitano del popolo or captain of the people and twelve anciani or ancients to serve as his council in each ward was organized a company of trained bands each under his own standard-bearer while to the captain of the people was entrusted the gonfalone del popolo the standard of the people half white and half red the towers of the nobles were reduced in height so as to be no longer formidable from this time the capitano who was required to be a foreign knight and a doctor of law stood by the side of the podesta as the defender of the people this change of constitution was a decidedly guelphic movement and contributed to the supremacy of that party until its defeat at the battle of montaperti in twelve sixty after this defeat florence suffered less than might have been expected various devices were invented with a view of holding the balance between the two parties the office of podesta was committed to two frati godenti from bologna who were supposed to belong one to the guelph and the other to the ghibelline party this order had been founded in twelve thirty three to appease the strife between guelphs and ghibellines they appointed twelve bonomini or overseers chosen from both parties to assist them the guild of calimala the makers of fine italian cloth took the lead in the state under the protection of the buonomini arose the organization of arts or guilds which has been already mentioned above these guilds were organized with capitudini or heads and collegi or assessors and with captains of companies with the right to banners and soldiers of their own besides the twelve guilds seven of the greater trades and five of the lesser nine industries of still lower rank strove for recognition at a later period the final result of these popular or quasi-popular reforms was to re-establish the supremacy of the guelphs an institution called the capitani di parte guelfa was formed consisting of three persons their original duty was to manage the confiscated property of ghibellines but they afterwards assumed very large political power the seigneury of florence was committed to king charles of anjou for ten years all tuscany became guelph except pisa and siena we have seen above that popes gregory and nicholas were not very anxious for the aggrandizement of charles's power to carry out their ideas they attempted to effect a new arrangement between guelph and ghibelline fourteen buonomini were appointed by pope nicholas in twelve eighty to form the signoria and they consisted of eight guelphs and six ghibellines but the arrangement only lasted for two years in twelve eighty two a final constitution was made which continued till the close of the liberties of florence the signoria was made to consist of six priori chosen from the higher guilds holding office for two months only they were obliged to lodge and have their meals in one house to hold no discussion with any one except in a public audience and were never to leave the city some changes were subsequently made in the number of these priori they varied from six to twelve and when the six wards were replaced by four quarters became eight in number 
the method of these elections was often changed at different times but the principal object of the several arrangements was to prevent family influence or jobbery this constitution possessed something of an oligarchical character being directed on the one hand against the grandi or nobles who could not be elected to the office unless they were members of the guilds and on the other hand against the populo minuto or lower class who were however at first content to be governed by their wealthier fellow-subjects power was thus concentrated in the hands of the upper middle class the rich merchants these arrangements were not sufficient to keep the grandi in check and their feuds were the occasion of perpetual disturbance in order to put an end to these quarrels the ordinamenta justiciae the ordinances of justice were passed by the populani under giano della bella in twelve ninety two he being a man of noble family who had been included in the guilds the general effect of these regulations was that the fact of being a grande was an incapacity for holding office and to be made a grande was one of the penalties with which prominent citizens were visited by their political enemies the severest penalties were inflicted on a grande who wounded a citizen the grandi were excluded from all places and offices except by the consent of the commune and from the registers of the citizens between the ages of sixteen and seventy they could not accuse or bear witness nor appear in court against populani without consent of the priori they were also not allowed to live within one hundred and fifty ells of a bridge to aid in the execution of these laws a gonfaloniere della giustizia or standard-bearer of justice was appointed he was to be a member of one of the superior guilds to have a vote with the priors and not to belong to any house from which any of the priors came the office was to last for two months and to be filled by persons chosen from the six wards of the city successively this important functionary had in his charge the gonfalone or standard of the people and had under him a body of chosen foot-soldiers first one thousand in number then increased to two thousand and in twelve ninety five to four thousand similar arrangements were made in the districts around florence so that a militia was always ready to crush any uprising on the part of the nobles it is interesting to remember that the great poet dante who was born in twelve sixty five possibly took part in these constitutional changes and that brunetto latini his preceptor was notaio del comune or town clerk it is also probable that dante fought in the battle of campaldino on june eleventh twelve eighty nine a battle in which the ghibelline inhabitants of arezzo were entirely defeated but which did not enable the united armies of florence and siena to take the town before we pursue the interior history of florence further we must turn our attention to the events which were taking place at this time in the other parts of italy pope martin the fourth the creature of charles of anjou was succeeded by two popes who were indeed italians but who had no influence either on italian or on european history pope honorius the fourth of the illustrious family of savelli was unable to pray or to celebrate mass or to perform the most ordinary ecclesiastical duties without mechanical aid 
he reigned for two years from 1285 to 1287 nicholas the fourth his successor is chiefly known for his subservience to the interests of the noble family of colonna he died in 1292 after his death there was a vacancy of the holy see for more than two years this interregnum resulted in the election of a pope whose life and reign is too characteristic of the middle ages not to claim our attention the city of solmona the birthplace of the poet ovid is situated in one of the wildest and most romantic districts of italy it lies at the extremity of that great central valley of which we have before spoken in which were founded corfinium the capital of the samite league and aquila the capital of the emperor frederick the second it is a cold and bleak region chilled by the eternal snows of the mighty peaks of the gran sasso d'italia and the matese in a cavern hollowed out of the steep rock not far from salmona had lived for many years an aged hermit pietro di morone his body was wasted with privations and tortures worthy of an indian fakir but the reputation of his sanctity had spread far and near and his wild utterances were taken as the words of prophetic inspiration by a sudden impulse the college of cardinals decided to elect this holy man as pope he ran away from the deputation sent to do him reverence but was caught and detained by main force and conducted to the cathedral of aquila in which he was to receive the papal crown it is difficult to account for his election perhaps the college of cardinals weary of perpetual intrigue determined to remit their cause into the hands of god and to raise to the headship of christendom the holiest and most saint-like man they knew the cathedral of aquila is one of the most perfect specimens of the italian gothic of the time of frederick the second it is said that the door by which the new pope entered has never been opened since and certainly the carved ornaments which surround it are as fresh as on the day when they were first sculptured as he rode through the streets of aquila his bridle was held by two kings charles the second of naples the son of charles of anjou who had been liberated from prison by the aragonese and his son charles martel king of hungary who had acquired that title by his marriage with the heiress to the hungarian crown the new pontiff assumed the name of celestine v whatever may have been the motives for his election it could not have resulted in a greater failure he was entirely unfit for the most ordinary matters of business he gave away the same benefice to different people he scattered indulgences with the most lavish hand he kept four lenten seasons in the year instead of one and during these periods was absolutely invisible worse than all he was completely in the power of the angevin kings charles persuaded him to create twelve non-italian cardinals of whom seven were french and this act of weakness was the final cause of the transference of the papal see to avignon at last on december thirteenth twelve ninety four he resigned the pontificate with the consent of the cardinals ten days later a successor was elected in the person of benedetto gaetani who took the name of boniface the eighth celestine had up to the time of his abdication resided at naples 
but boniface compelled him to accompany him to rome on the road thither he escaped and took refuge in the hermitage in which he had spent so many years dragged from this by force he sought a refuge in the forests of apulia and eventually embarked on board ship with the intention of crossing the adriatic driven back to the coast by a storm he was seized by the emissaries of boniface and was at last immured in the castle of fumone which stands on the summit of a lofty rock not far from the valley of the liris here he was treated with the most cruel rigour he was allowed to see no one except a few hermits of his own order and in this prison he died on may nineteenth twelve ninety six twenty-two months after his election it is believed that dante alludes to him as one who made the great refusal placing him in the most despicable part of the inferno amongst the cowards who did neither good nor harm in life as a punishment for having renounced the great office of reforming the church of god however this may be his history should be to us rather significant of the sharp antagonism which existed between the church and the world in the thirteenth century it shows us how ascetic and self-devoted piety while able to influence the mass of the people and to excite the hopes and enthusiasm of some of those who were in high places yet when brought into conflict with the passions so fiercely raging in the world earned for its possessor nothing but a life of torture and a death of ignominy in happier days an ascetic life would be less wildly ascetic and at the same time would not be denied its influence over the affairs of men important changes were now taking place in the government of italy spain and france which had a serious influence over the fortunes of the italian peninsula philip le hardi king of france who died in twelve eighty five was succeeded by his son philippe le bel his second son was charles of valois who had been invested by pope martin the fourth with the crown of aragon in twelve eighty eight edward i king of england had made peace between naples france and aragon on the following terms charles the second was to be liberated from prison and to be recognized as king of naples james of aragon brother of alfonso king of aragon who had succeeded peter of aragon in twelve eighty five was to be recognized as king of sicily charles the second was to persuade his cousin charles of valois to surrender his rights to the crown of aragon receiving a compensation of twenty thousand pounds of silver this treaty however came to nothing charles the second was crowned by pope nicholas the fourth king of the two sicilies and charles of valois refused to complete his renunciation and on the contrary allied himself with sancho king of castile with the view of attacking that kingdom alfonso forced to submission agreed to surrender as far as in him lay the kingdom of sicily to charles the second on the condition that charles of valois gave up his pretensions to the throne of aragon shortly after this alfonso died and was succeeded by his brother james who in his turn left the kingdom of sicily to his brother frederick thus sicily lay as a bone of contention between france and spain the population as before loathing the idea of submission to the rule of the french 
Boniface VIII, on his election to the papacy, endeavoured to reconcile these conflicting elements. He proposed that James of Aragon should marry Blanche of Naples, daughter of Charles II, with a large dowry, receiving also Corsica and Sardinia, which belonged at that time to Pisa and Genoa, the Pope considering that he was paramount lord of all islands, and might give them to whom he pleased. In return for this addition to his dominions, James was to surrender Sicily to Charles II. James was quite willing to assent to this treaty, but his brother Frederick, the actual ruler of Sicily, had to be dealt with. He was offered as a bribe to marry Catherine, granddaughter and heir of Baldwin II, Emperor of Constantinople, receiving a large sum of money to assist him in conquering this new empire. John of Procida and Roger de Loria, veteran patriots of the Spanish cause, dissuaded him from accepting this tempting offer. When James attempted to stand by the promise he had given, the Sicilian barons renounced their allegiance to him and recognized his brother Frederick as king. Thus the war went on between the French and the Aragonese in Calabria and Sicily, and James was compelled to take part against his own brother. For some years he assisted Charles II against him, but gave up the contest for very shame in 1299. Charles of Valois, who had entered Tuscany in 1301, sailed for Sicily in 1302. He had, however, but little success, and soon concluded peace. The conditions were that Frederick was to marry Eleonora, daughter of Charles II, to retain Sicily during his life with the title of King of Trinacria, with the promise that after his death the island should pass to the house of Anjou. This event did not, however, take place till the year 1337, and before that time the relations of the chief actors in the drama towards each other had become materially changed. End of section 4